Welcome back, WNST, Towson, Baltimore, and WNST.net. It has been a little while since I have slowed this young man down long enough to uh, come on the program here, cool out after running Baltimore County and dealing with all sorts of uh, uh, interesting stories and tragedies and uh, the things that people who run communities go through. Don Moeller has been my friend. We did the math on this, September of 1982, although it might be August of 1982. He is now the former Baltimore County executive. He is my seatmate at Ravens Games. Uh, we are soon to announce a uh, joint initiative, I think we'll call it here, uh, with what he's doing and with what I'm doing, which is what we, I think, always tried to do is surround ourselves with better people and storytell a little bit. Uh, I had a friend, uh, Evan, over at State Fair, uh, over in your place in, in the Ville, ask me over lunch the other day, uh, over a bookmaker salad, by the way. Nothing more Baltimore than a bookmaker salad. You know that, Don. <laughs> he, he said to me, now how do you know Don, and where do you know Don from, and how long do you go back with Don? And I said, in 1982, Don Moeller was the first person to tell me that I could be the next Chris Thomas, or I could be the next John Stebman. And as I sit here in 2019, and uh, you know, I look back on all this stuff, I've been knowing you a long time, and I said, you know what? Don Moeller was a part of one of my first radio shows ever, in the winter of 1992, and you coined the term and gave me the phrase, the sports huddle. Remember that? We huddled yeah, up on ab- Friday, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Dave Muir, Tom Cap, we get, got the band back together. Where were you in the spring of 1992 when I launched my radio group? Were you at Catonsville High? Principal at Sparrows Point Middle School. Sparrows Point Middle School. Okay. All right. So I'm just trying to figure out the first time we did radio together. You know, I found my old Dave Durian tapes from the 80s uh, when I was his music critic when I was at the Sun. So I'm going to unearth all of these in April when I take it down week. But I just want to get you. First off, how are you? How are things in Catonsville? How are things in Baltimore (laughs) County and Johnny O and all that other stuff? Because I know you're not really retired, dude. I'm on your Facebook. You're like attending meetings and sitting on. But you're doing stuff, man. I'm, I'm I'm doing a lot of stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. But I tell you, the next journey and and Nestor, when you say what you and I are going to be doing soon, uh, p- putting our efforts together, it's going to be very exciting in terms of a, of a positive vision for Baltimore and the region. But but it is fun to uh, for the first time in years to actually be able to do it on my own, uh, not really be holding to anyone, uh, just pick and choose projects that you care about. I'm delighted that you've been visiting Catonsville, and as you're finding out, Catonsville is this mecca of, of restaurants. It, it's just amazing. There's a lot of charm visit. going on over in Catonsville. Does Catonsville have a nickname or anything? I mean, is it the comic music, community? Music, or? City, music City, Maryland, baby. Music City, Maryland. Is it Maryland. really? Why, isn't there not, why is there not more live music over there? Why can I not go over there and get all hipstered up on a Friday and Saturday well, night? You can, come, you can come every Friday and Saturday night throughout the summer for free to Lerman Center, which is just out behind Catonsville High School, and get all the live music you want every Friday and Saturday I got night. stuck in a traffic jam over there one night going over to UNBC. I remember that. Yeah. I know you love traffic jams in Catonsville because that means industry is good. Don Moeller is here. You literally don't have to, as I said, if you live here, you literally don't have to go more than two or three minutes away because all up and down throughout the village, they're just outstanding restaurants. But, you know, we'll talk about that another day. But it's, it's great to, to be able to kick back and talk a little sports about where we are and where we're heading. Uh, 
Exciting times. All right, I, I want to relax here a little bit and let you get on the uh, the pulpit because you listen to the programming around here. You're that guy, so you know my thoughts on Flacco's departure and Lamar and all the folks we talked to at the Super Bowl who some believe, some didn't believe. Most don't believe a lot that, you know, Lamar Jackson, that this is an experiment that's going to yield multiple Super Bowls or change the world, that taking on contact is not a good thing. But in the aftermath of all of this with Flacco. He's going to go out to Denver. And Don, you know, I've known you a long time. I'd love to hear your thoughts. We sit together. We sat together the entire Flacco administration. That's every right. game we've been together, every home game. We, we were there when he threw his first pass, Nestor. And, and it now a, it these Jonas... It was a Dan and out. It was a sideline route. A Dan and out. He threw it on the money. I can still remember um, the guys who sit with us. They turned to one another and said, well, what do you know? We have a quarterback. Because that was a big thing at that time. Well, and he had just gotten the job the week before because of right. uh, uh, Troy Smith and all the other stuff that, that, that went on. But so you know, he's gone now, and legacy, measurable, elite, all of that stuff. All I'm going to, to write to him and say to him is that we're going to miss him now that he's gone. I think he's going to be appreciated in an incredible way. And I think he goes to Denver with piss and vinegar and the ghost of Tyler Palco on his left shoulder. And I I hope he does well. I'm going to be rooting for him. But I really do feel like to some degree, and, and I, I, I text him this. I said, I'm not going to let him forget what you did here, Joe. I'm not going to let him forget. You know, They're going to want to forget, but I'm not going to let him. Well, in the Nestor, people who know me, you've known me for a long time. They they know that I have this sentimental streak that I'm that, that there's a little bit of sappy, a little bit of sappy in me. But one of the things that I can't separate from what Joe did on the field was to the way he handled himself off the field. And, and I had the opportunity uh, every year uh, over, over the Flacco era to go out to camp. Um, to visit with the Ravens, to take my grandchildren out there. And I don't care how hot, how tired, how sweaty, Joe would always come over. He would always bend down or get down on one knee. He would sign the ball for the kids or their baseball hats. He would ask them what sports they were playing. And there wasn't an ounce of phoniness in Joe in any of that. So I, I'll remember. You, you know what? Can, can, can I just give you a Joe story to, that will relate to that? He and I are driving around his hometown. He's driving. I'm in his pickup truck. There's nothing in the truck but a DVD of the Super Bowl. And literally, and we're going around his hometown. And I, I remember saying something to him. He said something to me. I wouldn't be a very good person if I did that, would I? You know, like he had these right. things in the back of his mind. But I said to him, I'm like, dude, what, what's your cause? What do you care about? Like, and this is before Jen had cancer. You know, Jen had diabetes, and I did some stuff there. Obviously, I did a lot for Ed Block as a kid, as you know, who was adopted by parents who loved me and uh, treated me right. But I always had a soft spot for orphan children and children who didn't grow up with the kind of love that I had in my house. And I remember Joe saying, I love kids, man. Anything I do, it'll be, it'll be about kids, yeah. man. You know, I like kids. I just don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to be about kids. And now and he's, got, he's got a whole family of kids. And everybody with Flacco, like, when, they, when, when they finally pulled the trigger 
Everybody on Facebook had a picture of their, their, their kid with Joe Flacco. And I thought, not only did he take a picture with every one of you, he took a picture with every one of your kids and probably gave them a moment in some way because he can be pretty disarming because he does sort of like having that gift of being Santa Claus. He does see charm in it, you know, in some way. He really, really does. And that's a gift unto him that a lot of guys, they lose that edge. And you know that. You've been in politics. It, it can get heavy. It can get tiring. You, you know, just going through the airport and trying to make a flight or going no, to the mall, going and picking no up about it. baby formula at the store because your wife's homesick and you got three kids, right? Uh, literally. And, and Joe has been caught doing all of that with kids on his arms. He's And he's always gracious, you know? Well, so I would agree with you. And he won Super Bowls, by the way, too. I like those guys. Well, I'm you know? going to say, before we get to the on-the-field stuff, and I guess this is somewhat related to the on the field stuff. It's where I get so irritated with the haters. And when you and I will talk a lot over the next 18 months about the haters, the people who just get up angry every day. But the other thing about Joe that I think people should really appreciate is I don't care how bad he played. I don't care if he threw the intercession that lost the game. I don't care if he didn't see the blind side coming and get stripped uh, by the Steelers and, and, and lose the game and keep us from going to the championship. Joe waited in that locker room. You know. Oh, I know. You're there. And he stood up like a gentleman and never dodged the question. He was as honest as could be. Sometimes people didn't like him. Don, I chased him out of the locker room on many occasions on the road, late at night, after an ass kicking, because the road was always where he lost, right? You know what I mean? Like, they did a lot of winning at home. You know, I, I remember many nights tracking him down afterwards, saying, what happened there? And he would, he would tell me. You know what I mean? Like, and... You know, under his breath, he was just always that guy, always a stand-up yep. guy. And when I jump on the table, Don, and I've been doing this a day, right? You know that. You know me from the time I was 13 years old. And what I'm willing to say after 35 years of doing this since 1984, that he is my favorite person, my favorite athlete I, who's ever done people, what he's done. I tell people all the time that you say that. Well, it's just a fact. I, I don't. I, yeah. And it's not that there's not a second place because I love Brooks Robinson and I love Mike well, Flynn and I well, love you know I, I could go through a million people. I love Todd Heap and Dennis Pitta and I love Dan Wilcox and I love Alan Mills and I love you know I, I love all these people. You know, Listen, there's that greatest moment. There's that great moment which I think captures Joe. You and I spoke about it the other day. Captures Joe perfectly in Purple Rain 2, when Cam Cameron takes a bunch of folks up to the University of Delaware on a snowy day. It's raining, it's snowing, it's cold, and most crazy quarterbacks that we would know would say, no, I'm not, I'm not throwing the ball in a day. I'm not going out. I can't even grip the ball. And, and I think you described, I think Joe goes out in shorts even. I think he goes out in shorts and a T-shirt and begins to just throw the ball all over the field like a laser. Nothing, you know, nothing, just very unassuming, just walks out. You guys want to see me throw? Okay, I'll go out. And he's throwing lasers through the rain and the snow. And, and, and I, can, you know, I can remember the reaction that you write about in that book where the coaches are just like looking at one another, and they can't believe 
what they're about to see. And that's what makes, what makes again, the haters, it's so strange because when you look at Joe's record, and you, and, and it's, you almost have to call it the Joe Harbaugh record, right? Because they, they've been joined at the hip for 11 years, and they've been to the playoffs seven times. They were one play away twice from going two other times, which would have been nine out of 11, which would be a run that's unprecedented and that people would kill for in any other city. Uh, Joe would have been to another Super Bowl had Lee Evans not dropped the ball. I still remember that. I'm running around, jumping up and down, hugging people when I see those go to Lee Evans' hand before my son grabs me and goes, Daddy dropped it, and I thought he was kidding. By the way, I found, I found the passage that you're reading from, Chapter 7 of Purple Rain 2. Uh, it is on page 13. It's go. how to find a franchise quarterback. And it says here, Cameron and Jackson had worked out and coached some of the best quarterbacks in the world. Eli Manning, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer all did their respective pro day workouts with them in attendance. DaCosta admittedly was not the supreme expert on scouting quarterbacks and deferred to Cameron's expertise and Jackson, Hugh Jackson, by the way, his feedback on the regimen. Cameron, always the taskmaster, asked Flacco to do a variety of things that they hadn't seen him do at the combine. Throw off the back foot, throw off the front foot, move your hands. Flacco took every command as a personal challenge. I tried to do everything they wanted me to do, but I really didn't know what I was doing, Flacco said. It wasn't like I was at USC. I had never really done anything like that before. The ball never hit the ground, DaCosta right. said. He must have thrown 100 passes to those kids, and he was on target with every throw. It's amazing how accurate he was and how he saw movement, especially on a field with no lines. He kept trying to do it better and better every time. It was like fun for him. Joe wanted to do it the best he could. He kept saying, let's do it again, let's do it again. He was like a kid throwing the football on a playground. Flacco had pride, he had competitive spirit, and he liked coaching. He wanted to get better. So anyway, that's the yeah, story that's, from Purple Rain 2. And, and if Denver gets that guy at 34, a little pissed off right now, I, you know, I don't know that three years from now we go back and don't regret this or whether Flacco's on a curve to be out of football in the next 18 months. I don't know, but I do know that we watched him throw the football around in August and September and October, and there wasn't any question about who the better quarterback was. Like, there was no quarterback controversy. There was no competition. There was no nothing. Flacco was so much better than Lamar Jackson until he got hurt and then was never heard from again. So I'm fascinated to know how this is going to turn out, and certainly from the Ravens' perspective, and turning the conversation, Don Moeller, former Baltimore County executive, and my dear friend here, where do the Ravens go now, right? Like, the well, the future is Suggs, Weddle, Yonda, that's around the corner, Mosley. This is busy, busy time. The Ducks are paddling and, hard under the water right now. And the great, you know, the, the, the great sort of uh, subtext to all this, and you've known them and liked them for a long time, but we also had the added drama of the uh, Eric DaCosta. You know, it's it's not the same, right, being the number one guy. It's not the same as being, you know, number two and having Eric's gonna have I don't care, I don't care how much he's been in Ozzy's shadow, how much he's on it, he's gonna have his own way of doing things. But this is gonna be listen, this is a really exciting off season for the Ravens. When you look back, I think when Ozzy looks back 
you know, you'll never top right the Ray Lewis draft, but when Ozzy looks back on his career, I've got to imagine that this past year was, you know, his second best draft ever. So he leaves on a high note. He has an incredible draft, but we've had stability uh, at the coaching level. So I think the great thing about it is, Nestor, is that none of us know. That's what I keep trying to, to talk about with folks when they get all worked up about whether the Joe trade was a good trade or a bad trade, I, I laugh myself silly that when people have decided that Lamar Jackson is going to stay and never be an NFL quarterback because he didn't have a great, because he had a bad game against the San Diego and the Chargers, they never Chargers, they against the Chargers in a playoff game and the Chargers sold for the second time in three weeks. And you say to them, well, the other day you were telling me to Joe golf is going to be the greatest quarterback in the next Drew Brees, and he was as bad, if not worse, than Jackson, right, in, in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, what are, what are we talking about? I mean, we don't know. We don't know if Lamar Jackson can fix his mechanics. We don't know if Lamar Jackson can stay healthy. Uh, you and I, I think, believe that um, we believe with our heart and soul that if Joe has a supporting cast out there in Denver and has what we believe is a very good defense with folks coming off the edge and, and getting them the ball, I think we fully expect Joe to be very, very effective. He's Don Muller, former Baltimore County Executive, my pal. We're going to be huddling up here on a Baltimore Positive Initiative. We'll be telling you more about that uh, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, and, of course, we've got baseball season around the corner, which I know that always sort of gets you moving. But uh, I saw the over-under. This is the first time I saw it. This is on my timeline, Don. If you go to Vegas right now and the over-under on Oriole wins is what? Do you know what that, that number would be? I would say that the over-under on Oriole wins is 75. 58 and a half. It's 58, 58 and a half. And a half. Yes. I'm, so, the, I'm the eternal optimist. Yeah, so you if you think the Orioles will win 59 games this year, so let me remind you that 59 wins, and I know you you know, you're, you were a social studies teacher, but you do the math. I do that math. You do that math. That's 103 losses. So if you think the Orioles can do better than 103 losses, if, if you can – I mean, if you think they're going to win 75 games or even 74 games, you could probably buy all of Catonsville uh, via Las Vegas. And <laughs> Rob Manfred will give you some action. You know, it's no longer illicit for us to talk about gambling. We don't have to hushy-hush about it. It's not like dealing dice in a back alley somewhere, uh, you know, off Chesapeake Avenue. It, it, literally, it's, you know, the, the leagues are going to go into business and all this. But but there's your number, 58 and yep. a half, Don Moeller. That, that is yeah. about as bad a Vegas open numbers you could possibly have at 103 losses, you could win the bet, literally. Now, here's, here's, here's my take on that. I, this is a really strange observation. But for the first time in years, I don't care about that number. And believe it or not, and I'll still go to the games because my grandchildren love to go to the games, so I'll still go. Uh, you know, I'm one of the I'm one of the dinosaurs. I probably went to 15 games last summer. I'll go to 15 games again this summer with, with a ticket. And, you know, enjoy being out there. I love seeing the game through the eyes of you know young boys and girls. And you know what he really loves doing? He loves not going with me. 
because <laughs> I wreck it for him. But you know, I, I I'm I'm like sort of there at a Copperfield show telling you how the magic trick is done. Well, <laughs> and that's different for me, and 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 you know it because we've talked. All fair. I don't want to wreck it's, you and Ken. Look, you go with Ken and Meg. You go with two of my best friends to Oreo games. You, I'm, I'm, I'm going to help book sales because to your listening audience, if you have not picked up and purchased Astro Ball, which is the story about having Houston Astros went from losing 100 games a year, year in and year out, to winning the World Series in, what, 20, uh, 2014, I guess, uh, you, uh, you need to, uh, or 2017, right? 2017. Uh, 2017. You need to go get Astro Bowl and read about Mark Elias and read about Sid Metal. So that gets me to the point about the over-under this year. I think that number becomes irrelevant because for the first time in years, I think we have a plan. Now, the key will be, and hopefully the ownership group will allow these guys, and it appears they have so far, to just run the organization. I, I gave you a couple of, of examples earlier this week, Nestor. When I read the other day, it was, and you know I love Buck, so anybody thinks I'm something on Buck because he's not here. Not true, because, again, I love Buck. You are the one guy Buck. in the community that really fully understands why Buck left Zach Britton at the end. No, maybe you're not. Okay, maybe. Nobody understands that, but... I love Buck, and I thought that his press conferences, I used to say that if you sat and watched his post-game press conferences, I don't care how much baseball you know, you would learn something every night. Now, having said that, now in the rearview mirror, I think there are some things that give us some insight as to why things maybe got off the rails. The other thing is just a little note in the sun where it reported how pleased that Dylan Bundy was that they now had, under the new regime, video cameras out on the back mound so that he could go in and look at his motion and see how the ball's coming out of his hand so that he could make adjustments. Nestor, you could have knocked me over. I, I, I'm sure my jaw dropped. I thought, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is 2019, and Oriole pitchers are tickled that they suddenly have video cameras to study. Were we that far behind? It appears we were that far behind. Then you read... Man, you're shocked by that, really? I mean, you knowing what you know, knowing that they yeah, had no one in yeah, analytics. They, they, Don, they didn't, have a, they didn't have an analytics department to analyze anything yeah. that would have been analyzable. They didn't well, have an analytics department. Well, here's, here's the other best example of that, Nestor. So... I was really disturbed by the Gosman trade. And I understand that Gosman was giving us all heartburn. I got that. But I also knew the kid was 26 years old, could hit 98, 99 on a fastball. And if he kept the ball down and in the zone, he could be unhittable at times. So he goes to Atlanta, and all of a sudden, for his eight or nine start, he posts a sub three ERA. And they're thinking, how can this be? And then I see an interview with Kevin Gardner. And he says, well, because they came from me in Atlanta, and they said, we looked at the stats, and we noticed that when you pitch out of the stretch, you're a little bit of one point lower ERA than when you pitch out of the full windup. 
So why don't we try to have you pitch out of the stretch for a while? But my head, again, almost exploded. Our guys weren't looking at that kind of data. And, and, and I think we were just, in that sense, in the dark ages. And nobody got better under Roger McDowell. Nobody got better under Roger McDowell. Will we get better under the current regime? We'll see. But, I, I, again, here's an example. I don't know what this is. I hope this makes people out there scratch their head. So this, for years, for the last two years, right, as we watch this kid, Ryan Mountcastle, work his way up through the system. We read over and over. Great back. Can't miss that. I went back on today, actually, and was looking at scouting reports. Every single scout. Probably a guy who's going to hit 30 runs, no holes in his swing, can't miss hitter, problems defensively, aren't really lacking, probably going to struggle. Well, for the past two years, when we gather together, baseball people, we would say to one another, why don't they put the kid at first base where you never have to throw the ball more than 90 feet? You have to throw from first to home, and you have to throw from first to second. You have to throw the ball 90 feet. I'm guessing he'll be able to do that. And, and you don't have to do that even all that often. Let's see what he looks like at first base. Never any discussion. But, Don, it's, it, look, they gave Jake Arrieta away, right? Now, the first base tip, Hyde has Mount Castle taking balls at first base. So I think we were stuck in a way of doing things. And, and you know what? Matthew, you and I both in the leadership positions with managed organizations. And I get what I think may have happened to Buck. It's very easy to get comfortable and want to be surrounded by friends. Very easy to do that. And people who feel a sense of comfort, who you believe have your back. And I think that Buck sort of had this group of cronies that he liked having around him. And I don't know that Roger McDowell had the ability to make anybody better. He certainly didn't hear. You know, we certainly never appeared to get any, none of our hitters particularly tended to improve. So, so we're going to see, and we've got, we've got some kids. It's going to be exciting. Uh, you know, I think now when you, when you pick up the morning paper, it, it needs to be when you read about, you know, getting a, uh, you know, this young prospect coming in or the, or the guys we got, you know, in the Britain trade, you want to see how they're doing. Now, I want to see, can Austin Hayes bounce back? I can tell you that two years ago, when Austin Hayes came up at the end of the year, he made a couple of throws when I was out there from right field to third base that were, you know, just short of Clemente-like. I mean, yeah. this kid appears to have all of the, all of the tools. So, it's going to be fun. Maybe they win 59, but do they at least have a plan, which means that in the future they won't make a signing like they did with Chris Davis and give the, give the whole city a win and have it blow up in their face and be on the book for years. I mean, I think there's, there's reason for optimism. Well, we'll talk about Manny Machado and the Terps next week. Don Moeller here, Baltimore County Executive, joining us. Uh, you'll learn more about our Baltimore Positive Mission and all the things we're doing from Dundalk to downtown to the Ville. That's Catonsville for all of you out there. Don, rest up. we got some basketball to watch, and uh, you and I get back after it again next week, and we'll uh, be telling everybody about what we're going to be doing uh, coming up later on this spring. Let's do it. Go Terps.
There we go, Terps. There he goes. Maryland, we're all behind you. I'll tip in win. I'll take it. And he wins a good win. Ohio State, Penn State ahead. And, of course, hopefully a good seeding in the NCAA tournament. So we'll get some Terps basketball in. Luke has been doing that. I've been doing that. You can find us out in the buy, a Toyota.com audio of all 24 hours a day from anywhere in the world on your mobile device by downloading the TuneIn radio app. We do come in crystal clear from anywhere in the world. I am Nestor. Nasty at WNST.net finds me. I am on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Snapchat, Instagram, streaming live on our Facebook, as well as our YouTube, WNSTV channel. We are WNST.net, AM 1570 and WNST, Tassel, Baltimore, and we never stop talking Baltimore sports.